everybody. This is Shelby Wild Gust Brandt coming at you this week with a really special episode of Changing Lives, Selling Knives. And what today's episode is going to be about is the ingredients of culture. But rather than me sitting here and sharing with you what those ingredients are, what they mean, how to apply them, all of the things, I've actually gone back into the vault. And I've looked at so many different episodes from some of our vector greats and pulled out clips that really do the talking for me. So the way that this episode is going to work is that I'm going to introduce the nine ingredients of culture. And I'm then going to subsequently introduce a clip from a previous episode that really takes that ingredient and amplifies it. So today is going to be a really fun deep dive into the ingredients of culture as told by some of the greatest leaders in our field today and past leaders uh, that were once in our field and are now doing big things out in the world outside of Vector. Let's dive in. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories, and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. All right, let's dive in. So the first ingredient that we're going to be talking about on today's episode is mission. And I don't necessarily mean mission statement, although that is important. What I mean is being mission driven. So looping your team into the mission at hand. What are we accomplishing today or this week or for the push period or for the campaign? So a mission can be both short-term or long-term, but the importance here is that you are being crystal clear with your team what needs to be accomplished right now as you make progress towards the mission. And you're going to hear from Dan Cassetta in episode number 15, where he shares the epic story of his final week as a branch manager going after his mission of eclipsing the silver cup. And what you'll see is that he has both a long-term mission at hand, which was to win the silver cup. That was his campaign mission. And then he is masterfully driving his team towards the mission of selling over $32,000 for the week in order to 
beat his competition and ultimately achieve the mission of the silver cup. Now, for the sake of time, I had to cut down the story a little bit. And so what I'm going to encourage you to do is go back and listen to the episode in its entirety. But I think the clips you're about to hear, you will be able to understand what I mean when I say Dan masterfully looped his people into the mission at hand and drove an incredible finish to his summer. I hope you enjoy episode number 15 featuring none other than Dan Cassetta. We beat them by $13,000 the second to last week. That left an $11,000 deficit for the final week of the summer. At the start of that final week, my division manager came to the office for a team meeting we had on Monday morning, August 19th. My regional manager, Bruce Goodman, strategized with me to figure out, you know, how could we make this happen? And I remember one of the questions I asked him was, what is the most you think the Madison office could sell for that last week of August? What is the most you think they could do? And numbers were a little different back in 1991 than they are today. But the concept is, it holds true. Bruce told me the most I think they can do is $20,000 for the week, 20 grand. They do 20 grand. That's bringing their A game. That's knocking it out of the park. And I said, all right, well, then we're going to do 32, right? We were behind by 11. So if they're going to do 20, we're going to do 32. We're going to beat them by a thousand bucks. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be crazy, but we're going to do $32,000 for the week. That was our goal. We stated that to all our reps. We launched everybody out to go have a great week that last week of August. The following Monday morning, August 26th, which was the final day of the competition, the final day, we had a meeting in the morning with all of our reps. And all of our reps were in the office. And I was, you know, opening up the meeting, talking about what's going on and what's exciting and things that are happening. And my assistant manager was over in the corner adding up all the orders. All right. This was 1991. There was no online order entry. There was no automated systems. Everything was written on paper, order forms, and we added them up using a calculator. So he's over there, you know, flipping through order forms, adding them up using a calculator. Remember, our goal was $32,000 for the week. I see him finish up the adding of the orders. He turns around and he's got a frown on his face and he's holding the calculator in his hand. And he walks up to me. And he shows me the calculator and I look at the number and it says 22,435. And I gulp a little bit and I let our team know, well, our goal is 32 grand for the week. We are at 22,435 right now. And one of my reps goes, oh, wait, I didn't turn in my orders. Her name was Jody. And she has like $2,000 of orders with her. (laughs) And also... Around that exact same moment, another one of my reps, a guy named Jonik, he comes walking in late to the meeting. He's got about $2,000 in orders with him. So we were actually at about $26,000 on Monday morning, the last day of the competition. So we needed to sell $6,000 the rest of the day. So it's the last day. We're finishing our meeting. It's 1030 in the morning. I launched a bunch of contests, fired up the team, said, go out, crush it, get back here by five o'clock with your orders. And let's see if we can get 6,000 more sold today. And our reps all went out and they went out to try to have a big day. And some of them did. I went out and did an appointment. I quickly got an appointment. Reps were coming in, turning in orders, turning in more orders. And what I also started doing is I started 
fixing problem orders from the past. We can still get more orders and make this happen. And I felt so relieved that I would at least be able to get my own order into the company. I didn't know how much more business we'd generate in the next couple hours that night, but I knew it would probably be something that could make a difference. So we rallied the team to try to get some more sales and some more appointments. And a few of the key reps went out and did that. Later on that night, around 8 or 8.30 p.m., a guy came walking into the office. And this guy's name was Barry Galindo. And Barry was one of those reps who had just disappeared earlier in the summer. You know, he just kind of disappeared, stopped coming to meetings, stopped answering calls, right? We don't have cell phones back then, you know? We don't have easy ways to get a hold of people. Barry just vanished. We thought he had quit, disappeared. Barry comes walking into the office at night and he says, hey, did we win? And we're like, Barry, this is it. It's the last day. It's the last night right now. And he says, oh, I've got an order. We're like, awesome, man. What happened? Where you been? Barry Galindo told us that he had developed some very, very virulent stomach ailment. He was in the hospital and he almost died. And we're like, oh my God, I can't believe that happened. But he said, but I'm okay now. I, you know, I just got out of the hospital. I wanted to come in and see what happened. Did we win? We told him, yeah, it's the last day. This is it right now. He turned in this order that he had had with him for quite some time. And we asked him, hey, Barry, is there anybody else you could sell to? He says, well, my sister wants a paring knife. I said, awesome. Call her right now. Get the order over the phone. Get her credit card. He called his sister right there on the spot, sold her one paring knife over the phone. It was 28 bucks back in those days. Those of you that are current vector reps are thinking, wow, times have changed. Yes, times have changed. Indeed. We had Barry's couple orders. We had my order. We had a few other orders that came in from other various reps throughout uh, the night. And at the end of the night, we put those extra orders in another envelope, sealed it up, brought it down to San Jose Airport. I brought it down personally to San Jose Airport, dropped it off, paid 235 bucks, and was you know eagerly awaiting that envelope would get to only in the next afternoon, which it did, by the way. And I went back to the office and we again added up. How much did we sell this week? And the final sales report for the week was 36901 Wow. What a story that was. And again, as you might have been able to tell, the clip really didn't give you the whole story. But what it did give you was the power of going after something and getting your people involved. Because when you are crystal clear on what the mission at hand is, you end up having people who show up out of nowhere and help make magic happen. You end up having people bend over backwards the very last minute to help make the mission reality. So again, Make sure that every single week, you know what the mission at hand is, whether that is your sales number or your recruiting number. Every team meeting, you are conveying what the mission is, whether it is a phone call number or a demo set number. Every single PC, you are looping your people in to what the mission at hand is. Let's dive into the second ingredient, which is 
protecting your culture. So this ingredient is protection. And you're going to hear from Isaac Tolpin in episode 46, where he talks about creating mantras within your organization that when repeated over and over and over and over again, permeate the psyche of your representatives and create a level of standard within your organization where people are choosing to do the right thing simply because that is part of the organization. You get to become an angel on the shoulder of your representatives driving positive and high-performing behavior. This episode is one of the best episodes that I think Changing Lives Selling Knives has. And of course, like the one we just heard, what you're going to hear right now is only a small clip. I highly recommend bookmarking this episode and revisiting it after you hear this clip. Enjoy. For you, it was Choose Growth. Right, Choose Growth was the mantra of the North Pacific Division. And I think that that concept permeated every decision that people made in your organization as they were progressing through their work days, you know, or striving for whatever goals that they were striving for. Choose Growth. And of course, there were things beneath that that you talked about, but that was the mantra. Let's talk a little bit about that concept. And, you know, how do you craft a culture driving statement? that's going to be something that inspires your entire team for a long period of time. Yeah, no, it it totally was. And there's a lot behind that. And uh, and I'll go into that. But the thought of this, and I'll answer the question is, I remember thinking, how can I raise the floor everybody's standing on? Because I'm sure anybody that leads people will relate to this. You get a couple of people over here performing at a high level. And then the people you're working with before kind of drop down. And it, they t- they change roles any given year, campaign, or whatever you call things. And what if you could just get the whole floor to raise? Where, yeah, that still happens, but everybody's success is greater. And so when it was about me and me working directly with people or about the speech I give or these kinds of things or meetings I run, it was, I couldn't raise the floor. But culture raises the floor. And if you instill it right with a key statement that you're talking about, then every time you say that, when nobody's looking, people make more of the right decisions. When nobody's looking, people decide to try a little harder. They, you know, you'd be shocked. And I know you know this, Dan, but you'd be shocked if you were like a little angel on the shoulder of your people, whoever your people are that you lead, and you could actually see what they do. Now, seeing is one thing. You'd be shocked at how rudimentary and basic, the most basic things don't happen sometimes. But now your culture gives that little angel a voice. Mm. It's like whispering in everybody's ears on a constant basis when they decide to do this or this. So the question you said is, how do you develop the key statement? The problem a lot of people do, first of all, is they think of something clever that their team will like. The problem with that is you will never talk about what you don't possess within you. So the first thing you have to do is think about who am I and what am I about? Because if you drive anything different than what you're about as a leader, you will never stay the course in driving it forward and you'll lack the authenticity to deliver it the right way. Mm -hmm. So that is huge. Yeah, no doubt. Really doing some introspection to think about 
you know, who are you about? You know, what are you about as a leader is the key first step to being able to come up with something that you're going to be able to drive with your organization. What else goes into the aspects of communication that helps to, you know, foster this into the bloodstream of all of your people? Yeah. So the next key is that you have to think about what are the key result areas in my business? What actually makes a difference? Because if we're talking about behavior, what do we want behavior to impact? If you want your business to grow, you want it to impact the things that make the business work. So I would just encourage anybody listening, take a notepad out, whiteboard it, write a list of the key levers of your business, write as many as you possibly can. And I did this process. I, was, I thought through this. It was very carefully done. Thought through this process. So what are the key levers? And then I distilled it down to our key result areas. What are the four to seven levers that impact as many of those key result areas as possible? And the reason four to seven is because, and I can even say three to seven, a leader can never effectively communicate about more than four to seven things. And when you distill down the levers, now what is a lever? Well, we all know what a lever is. It's something you pull that has a much bigger impact than your strength because you pulled it. Mm -hmm. And so what you're looking for is a catalyst that you can bring meaning to, a statement you can bring meaning to that they understand and it impacts maybe four different areas of your business. I'll give you an example, Dan. So I have it written down here. Uh, Back then, uh, the Norpac division, I, we were the most geographically spread out division probably in the company or one of them. And it was really hard to get anybody to care about the organization beyond their, their own organization, about the division and to be an actual team. And it wasn't going to be because I run more meetings. If anything, I was going to run less meetings because I had to tend to my wife. And so, What I had to think about is what is something, and there's a lot of key result areas, at least in that business, when people care beyond their own office. There's a lot of things that impacts and impacts leadership development, which is a huge key to that business. Okay. And so what I did is I just carefully crafted the next step is you figure out a culture driving statement that drives that lever that impacts many key result areas. And the the, the one for that, which is the geographically spread out and it's hard to get people to care is the statement, multiple leaders proactively leading. And it's not a nice statement. It's kind of normal. It's kind of just four words, <laughs> maybe too many words. But you know what? Every single conference call, every time I was in front of them, every time I was talking to one of them, Hey, remember we're multiple leaders proactively leading. And here's a thing that I knew but didn't practice fully until I had this epiphany, which is leaders forget how powerful their words are. And you start to impact the subconscious and the conscious mind when you say the same thing over and over again over a long period of time. It's like advertising. It's Mm -hmm. amazing. Wow. That was good, Isaac. I really appreciate that. It would be really helpful for people to think about that, this idea of what are the key levers that they can be pulling in their organization that can have that compounded effect, like you said, that is stronger than them. 
loved listening to this episode and pulling this clip out because truly there was just so much gold in what Isaac just shared. But like I mentioned with Dan's episode, it wasn't the whole thing. So go back to episode number 46 and listen to everything that Isaac has to share about building a high-performance culture. But with this clip in particular, I want to challenge you to think of a phrase that can drive your team this summer. What is that angel on their shoulder that's going to be driving the actions and the behaviors day in, day out? Let's move on to ingredient number three. And this ingredient is something that I think when people think of culture, this is a natural thought that happens. And that is the importance of shared values and how your values as a leader permeate through your organization. And this is especially important for our newer leaders who maybe don't have a key staff or a staff of assistant manager that you can sit down with and brainstorm, hey, what are our shared values? Instead, you might be finding that you're starting from scratch. And if that's the case, listen to what Kristen Ali did when she was building her organization and how she took her values and made sure that she was building something around things that she valued and how she used that as her ability to attract top-tier talent. This is Kristen Ali with episode number 202. Enjoy. I made sure that I didn't just talk about the core values that I have, but that I live them. You know, my core values aren't a noun. It's not a person, place, or thing. It's an adjective. It's moving. It's constantly moving. It's something that I practice daily. And me being able to speak about those things on a daily basis really had people bought into what we were building. So my core values, what are they? I lead with a lot of integrity. Integrity is my biggest core value. Everything I do is based off of integrity. Do I do what I say that I was going to do when no one else is looking? Yeah, when the door shuts and no one is looking in my direction, am I still the same person that I am preaching to the choir every single day that I am? You know, and and that is something that I was so passionate about and making sure that my people were also people of integrity and holding themselves accountable to what they said they were going to do. You know, and if something didn't get done properly, it's okay to make mistakes, but if you did it out of laziness, that is not aligning with my core value. And those people quickly could not last in my organization. And so I was attracting the right people based off of integrity and accountability. And then my second biggest core value is family. It's family. It still is to this day. I love my family inside and outside of the business. And I treat everyone as if they were my future son or daughter. Uh, I don't have kids yet, nor am I married. But like, I treat everyone like a parent, a guardian, a therapist, um, a mom, whoever I am. I want them to feel like they are a part of something, like they belong here. It doesn't matter what kind of personality they have, if they're extroverted, introverted, that they are a part of our family here in EQ and you have a place where you belong. Because it's really hard to find that sometimes, a place where you feel like you belong. And I made sure that every student on my team made sure that they felt like they belonged somewhere. So good right there, Kristen. That was really, really, really compelling what you just shared. The the idea of leading from your core values, first one being integrity and accountability. You, you described integrity with the words doing what you say you're going to do, right? That's so important. When you do that, people become comfortable with you. They trust you. They know what to expect. 
they feel more certainty being around someone who exhibits that, that trait. And then what you just described is key is that what you communicate to people very clearly is that that's how it works here. We do what we say we're going to do. We follow through. We are accountable to our goals. And people either rise to that or they exit. They go somewhere else. And more people will rise because you're inspiring them right, to want to do that. You're inspiring them to want to be great. You're setting a good example for them. That's so powerful. And then the family piece really ties it all together, right? People feeling like they have a place, right? One of my past podcast guests one time said, you know what I loved most about being in Vector was that Vector was a place where you could be who you are and you could still fit in. Doesn't matter, you know, what type of person you were, what, whatever personality traits or anything like that. You could be your own self and there was going to be a place for you. And you're giving people that feeling so that they want to be around you so that I'm sure you have people who are succeeding at high levels. I'm sure you have also have people who are just kind of like plodding along consistent, but not necessarily great, but they are part of your team and they feel a part of it and they want to stay around because they're contributing to something and they feel like they have that place. When listening to this clip, it's no wonder that Kristen has done so well in such a short period of time with Vector. Because I hope that just like I can feel it, you can feel her heart coming through as she talks about the importance of values. And that really is what those values are. It's it's your heart. It's your heart coming through and it's it's linking people to a common way of acting and believing. Again, this is episode number 202. I would recommend checking it out in its entirety. Let's move on to the fourth ingredient. The fourth ingredient is, again, another common ingredient when you're thinking about culture, and that is vision. The importance of conveying a vision for what you're going after. Now, the difference between vision and mission is that vision is in the future, right? You're spewing something that might not yet exist and you're getting people excited about what we're linking arms to move towards together. Whereas mission is that thing that we're doing right now in the moment we're looking to accomplish in today's time. So you're gonna hear from Trey Harris in this clip where he talks about not just the importance of spewing his own divisional vision or his own office vision, but really thinking about his leaders and how he had helped them create their own vision that, of course, in turn helps him accomplish his divisional vision. I think it's such a fabulous example of the what's in it for them talk and really getting to know your people. This is episode 190 with division manager Trey Harris. So I remember Larry was always blown away. I would always have a depth chart and I would have a list of all of my favorite people, like my top reps, and then where they're at in career sales, how much do they have and withholdings, you know, their savings account, how much money do they have? Where do I see them the following year, the next year, the next year, the next year? I would have a four year plan, right? And what's funny is that I would sit down and do the, the four year vision casting. And Jeff's quoted it now as go through college. It sounds way better, right? Go through college plan. But 
you know, make a four-year visionary plan with them. And, and I would take them to lunch. We would write it out. And then it's crazy how many of them kept that paper. And when they go district, they're like, by the way, I still kept this paper. You know, I branched, you know, this summer I was the two-time branch here. I went district here. Just making that plan and see it forces us as business owners to have the vision and create the excitement about what we're building, who's going to play what kind of roles. And if I'm going to get them at that point soon, well, what are the things I need to do to develop them to get them there and right now? So I think that that right there is super important. You also described Trey keeping a list of your people and then you do the napkin talk. That's right. With everybody, right? You do the napkin talk where you sit them down, you, you paint the vision, right? Of where they could be, of why it would be exciting. This is so critical. Like you're, you're leveraging your personal power to get people to be interested in being here and doing this. They're hearing competing influences all the time, whether it's a friend who's saying, Hey, you know, let's go this direction in life, or what are you going to do? Or it's parents trying to influence them for sure. Society's influencing them constantly. And I think that most people take the path of least resistance. Whatever seems like it's the easiest way to go is where they end up going. And we want to help them see that vector should be their path, right? It doesn't just happen naturally. We can't expect people to just naturally, you know, like being here and then want to just keep being here. Right. There has to be a leader that says, Hey, this is what I see for you. This is what I believe you could do. This is why it would be great. Here's what the future could look like. And you're doing all of those things combined from showing that you like what you do, displaying the kind of lifestyle people would want, spending time in person to influence them, taking interest in people, and then painting this vision. It's, it's an amazing formula for success that I think anybody could emulate. I agree. If if we're not influencing them, someone else is. That's for sure. Probably not in, in the best way. You know, the easy way is never the right way. So, and and, and as the our job as the leaders is to provide that vision. Without vision, the people perish. You know, if, if I keep doing the same thing over and over, and I don't think that there's a, an advancement path or somewhere that's going to eventually, I'll get bored of it. Right. So, what's the next challenge? How are we going to get them? And then that's our job, right? Is to provide that vision. Wow. I think it's so special. The level of care and attention to detail that Trey has with his people. And it's really cool to hear so many of his development, keeping that piece of paper, those notes that came from some of those vision building messages. I hope that that fired you up for the impact that you get to make this summer with people who you get to sit down with and help them map out. Maybe it's not a four-year vision. Maybe it's just a campaign vision. But remember, it's so important to help somebody see that there is a longer-term, bigger picture when it comes to selling knives. It's not just about dropping down and getting referrals there's so much more here. And Trey does a masterful job at helping his people see that. Again, that was episode 190 with Trey Harris. Go check the entire episode out because I know you're going to love all the things he has to share. Let's move on to the fifth ingredient. And the fifth ingredient is none other than accountability. 
And you're going to hear from the vector goat, Drew Frank, as he talks about the six keys to accountability. I don't really have to set it up any more than that. Let's roll the clip. What about when you have somebody, Drew, who is, they're not being accountable. They're not following through on their commitments. I would love for you to give a couple examples of conversations you have with people like that. And maybe we could start with this from a rep perspective, right? Like a young Cutco sales rep that's not following through. And then perhaps after that, we could talk about it from a manager perspective and how you work with your DMs as well. But what does a conversation look like when somebody's not following through on their commitments? Sure. It, well, let's start off with what it's not. And I think that that you know I've, I've been managing for for so many years, and I, I certainly made a lot of mistakes. So for anyone that's listening, that don't don't kick yourself as you go through this and feel like, oh man, I lost so many opportunities. It's, that's part of growth and, and and learning. So for the accountability conversation. You know, I, as you know, I love my, my one page PDFs and I, I created a one pager for those that are, are watching the video version. I'll have it on the screen, but I'll just walk through. And as I said, my brain, it works in steps. So I have six steps to, to accountability. I'll reference them as I walk through the numbers and the amount of steps doesn't really matter for the purposes of this conversation. It's more of the understanding the feel and the flow. But working with somebody who has misstepped what it's not, it's not an up or out conversation. It's not a threatening, you know, using your position of power or leverage, your title, your role. None of that matters to, you know, when it comes to accountability, because what you're trying to fix is, is a, a, something that's not working, either a a pattern that's not working, either a mindset. So you're trying to change something that's not working. And if we go at it with an attacking mindset or i'm going to fix this person well you know that that you're it's probably not going to to be successful from the start so i think understanding what what is the end result what are we trying to to gain from having this um this conversation and and you know it's regaining trust it's regaining respect for, on both sides you know for for the rep and the manager it is reestablishing communication and and starting with a fresh start and as you know i think we can we can focus on the things that that somebody did wrong but i don't think that that's going to you know that's not fruitful because they already know that they weren't doing the actions they know they weren't making the phone calls they know they missed the meeting they know they missed you know calling you back whatever it was obviously they know that they weren't performing to their best otherwise you wouldn't be having the conversation so giving people an opportunity to win and, and giving an opportunity for a fresh new relationship with with new fresh expectations and the ability to let the past be in the past that that's the essence of the conversation so step one for me is taking uh, responsibility and and part of this and I again I've got on the shared screen for those who are watching the video but uh, taking responsibility and being vulnerable is uh, the first step because the person that you're having this conversation with, they need to know that it's not an attack. And and you might be disappointed in the situation, but you're not disappointed in the person, right? Everybody makes mistakes. Everybody you know, has things that they wish they could do differently. Me more than anybody that I'm going to have a conversation with just because I've been around longer than, than most of the people that I'm working with. So taking responsibility for the situation, being vulnerable and, and not being in attack mode. So 
that's the first. And I'll give a couple examples as we go through. So this could be saying, you know, Dan, if you're my rep, I'll just use you as the example. You know, Dan, I, I feel like I haven't done my job as a manager. And I feel like I've failed you because, you know, if I, if I had done my job correctly and if I had coached you a little, you know, maybe better, or if I had, you know, seen things from your lens, you know, maybe I would have coached you differently and maybe we would be having a different conversation. So, you know, regardless of, of what happened, I want to take responsibility and I want to let you know that I feel bad that, that you haven't gotten the results, you know, and my, my job and, and what I, you know, promised you and, and what I, you know, uh, told you in the interview and training is that I'd be here to support you 100% and make sure you got results and you haven't been getting those results. And I, I take that personally. So that, that's step one. I see how that could really open someone up right away. Yeah, we also have to realize that, you know, when I started this job, I was 18 years old. This was like my first real, like legitimate job. And so if somebody came at me in attack mode, it wouldn't give me any opportunity to grow and learn. So, uh, you know, having managers that respected that I was, you know, still in this process, give people an opportunity to make up for it and, and give them opportunity to, to win in the end. So just coming in from an emotional perspective of this is how I feel. You know, I feel bad. I know you feel bad too, but I'm not angry. I'm not mad at you. I'm just, I'm upset that we're in this situation. So I want to talk about it. Mm -hmm. The second part, the next part is honesty. And this is just that upfront raw communication of that human, human connection, not going through the laundry list of questions that you ask somebody, you know, Hey, how do you think things are going? Do you think you're, you know, are you working hard? Are you doing things the right way? That's just, that shouldn't be part of the accountability conversation. It's, Hey, I know things haven't been going well, Dan, but I know that you can be successful. I know you're talented. I know you're smart from the connection that we made in your interview, the connection we made in training. Like you are a talented person and I believe in you. And I think that you could do really well in this job. And I know that you know that, that, that too. At the rate we're going though, and you know, based on how the past two weeks have gone with you know, your sales and your level of activity, you're probably not going to be here in a few weeks if we continue this trend. So I care about you. I believe in you. And I want to have this conversation because if we continue down this path, we're probably both going to be even more disappointed or upset you know, uh, later on. So I want to see if we can fix that and start fresh. So that's that, that honest communication. The third key to that accountability conversation is a what's in it for them. And, and what's in it for them is, is putting yourself in that person's shoes, understanding Really, that that it's that belief, it's that painting the vision, like we just talked about. It's having that conversation of what you think they're capable of. So, Dan, I think that you could be one of the top reps in the office. I think that with the right consistency, with the right activity, I think that you have the ability to win trophies. I think you could be somebody who would be on stage giving an acceptance speech at a banquet. I, I really see that in you, and I don't want you to look back and wonder what if, because I know that you. I know that you believe in yourself to know that that's possible too. And and if you if we keep going this path and we give up on yourself, you're always going to look back and say what if. I don't want that to happen. I know you don't want that to happen because you deserve to do well in this job. And that leads to the next point, which is asking for permission. So. Dan, with your permission, what I would like to do is I want to start fresh. I want to start with a, a clean coaching relationship. And I want you to be able to tell me exactly what you need from me so I can provide you all the support that I can. And, and I want to start clean. I want to start fresh. I want to give you an opportunity to win. And if we try this, if we work hard for, for let's say, two weeks, you give me two weeks of, of we make a new plan and we make a new goal and we make a new schedule and you go after it, 
if it doesn't work out, at least we know we tried. I'm always going to feel good about it. You're always going to feel good about it. And it shows a ton of professionalism in class. Now, if it works out, listen, this is the greatest story of all time where we can look back and say, you remember when we had that slip up in the first you know, couple of weeks of the job? Remember when, when we were thinking about quitting? You're going to be the one telling that story on stage, giving that acceptance speech. And uh, you know, think about how cool that's going to be. Right? So it's that what's in it for them conversation and then asking for permission to start fresh. Hmm. It's so good, Drew. And I just see why this is received so well by others. Just really strikes me as something that almost everybody is going to listen to and at least be willing to like redouble their efforts for a short amount of time. Yeah, it's just, you know, it's, it's just being pure and honest and genuine with what you want. You obviously want this person to succeed. You don't want them to feel bad for, for not performing or missing a meeting or maybe, you know, whatever, whatever it was, there's nothing so egregious that somebody doesn't deserve a chance to make up for it, a chance to really do well and to have all of your belief and confidence. So get, getting that permission to start fresh. And usually with that clean slate, it, it just opens up the opportunity for somebody to reinvest their belief in themselves, reinvest their belief in the program, the opportunity, their goals, and you as a leader. You can always count on Drew Frank to deliver. I know that he mentioned a PDF in his clip. And if you are looking for that PDF, you can go to the podcast website, www.dancassetta.com, find the Changing Lives, Selling Knives tab, search for episode number 172, and you can actually get the, the PDF in the show notes of that episode. Let's move on to the sixth ingredient. And this sixth ingredient is one that not many people actually know about, but I'd be willing to bet many of you do naturally. And that sixth ingredient is something called belonging cues. And belonging cues are the nonverbal things that you do to make somebody feel like they belong. Now, I didn't necessarily find a clip that totally exemplified that, but I did find a clip with Kate Vassy, episode 53, where she talks about how Jeff Gamboa listened and responded in a way to something that she was going through, where she doesn't necessarily remember what he said, but she remembers how he made her feel. And that in itself, the ability to make somebody feel heard without fear of judgment, that right there, that is a major key in developing culture and cultivating a sense of belonging. So enjoy as Kate Vassie shares an experience with her mentor, Jeff Gamboa. When I transitioned into my first fall, I, I know like only having a $30,000 fall as a district office. and. That was a really humbling experience for me of really struggling for the first time. And I was actually trying. So it was one thing if you're like, you know, not putting any effort, you're not doing the right things, you're not following the schedule. And, and, uh, admittedly, so I was actually doing what, what I quote unquote should have been doing. I'm not sure that mm-hmm. that was the case, but I was really trying and it wasn't connecting for me. And, I remember sitting outside of Max Dry Cleaners on the main highway of my territory where I was a district manager. 
And I remember calling Jeff Gamboa, who was my division manager now at the time. I remember crying to him for the first time ever on the phone. And I remember sharing with him that I was frustrated and I was embarrassed. You know, I was supposed to be the top district manager and to go out and crush it. And I wasn't. And I don't remember exactly what Jeff Gamboa said to me in that conversation. But what I remember is I remember how he made me feel. And I think one of the most incredible things about Jeff Gamboa as a leader and what I've learned from him is his incredible ability to make people feel special and to make people feel loved. And what I remember leaving that conversation, Dan, is he believes in me 100%. Hmm. He sees me and talks to me as if I'm already a million-dollar manager, even though that's not what I'm experiencing this second. He had no sense of doubt whatsoever in his conviction in me going big places. And I remember, Dan, after that conversation, we had a vector trip right afterwards. And I had a chance to kind of clear my head for a second. And it's where I put together right after that pivotal moment, my first million dollar year on the paper. And I crafted a list of questions I was going to ask myself every single morning. And I mapped out campaign by campaign and week by week exactly what needed to happen from March through the rest of the year. And that was a turning point in my entire life that I look back on because what unfolded after that was our first million dollar year and almost week by week, exactly what I planned out ended up happening. Wow. How special is it that Kate had someone like Jeff to be there and give her the space to share hard times and work through hard times and then lay the foundation for Kate to take off running and have one of the best years of her career. And we're so lucky that she is still here today. And it's possible that that conversation is one of the big reasons why she is still here today. So I want you to think about the people in your organization who might be future Kate Bassies and how special is it that you have the ability to play a role where you can make somebody feel like they really, truly belong here. Let's move on to the seventh ingredient. And that seventh ingredient is once again, an ingredient similar to the belonging cues where people don't necessarily know what this is. But again, it's something that a lot of people do naturally. And this seventh ingredient is what is called collisions. And it's actually a good thing. The phrase collisions as it pertains to culture is those serendipitous moments of exchanges, meaning that it's the person that you happen to meet at a conference because you sat next to them when you had similar colored shirts on, or it is the person that you met in your office because you went field training with them and you just began to build 
a friendship and a relationship with that person. It's the mentor that you just happen to grab a call with and now you check in with each other on a regular basis. It's those moments where you make a relationship with somebody and it furthers your vision and your retention within the organization that you're part of. And what you're going to hear is Paige Weber from episode 127 talk about how the circle of influence for her was one of the things that really elevated the belief that she had in herself and the belief that she had in making her vision become a reality. And I love the idea of circle of influence because we hear that talked about a lot. And you as a manager, as a leader, have the ability to help your people develop their circle of influence. In fact, you have the ability to be part of that circle of influence. And a lot of 18-year-olds, if they're not part of Vector, they don't really have the best circle of influence. And so I want you to think about the importance of connecting your people to a great circle of influence and what that can do for your culture. Listen in as Paige Weber talks about her example of circle of influence. I think some of the earliest experiences that really stood out to me was circle of influence. I never learned much about like what what a circle of influence meant or what it could really do for you until I finished up my first year at Cutco, even my branch. And just realizing what a circle of influence of of positive people could really do for you and and the the outlook it could take on you in life. You know, I, I was just a part of friends that didn't really have all these aspirations and financial goals. And, and I was working with people like Gina that was talking about owning certain things and having a life of fun and traveling. And I was like, I'm, I'm never going to be able to do that. And once I started really hanging around these people and, and learning from them and, and growing with them, uh, my circle of influence changed. My life changed. I was looking at, at things totally different. And I, I started believing in myself a lot more. And, and I stopped listening to those negative outside influences and those people that just didn't really matter. So Circle of Influence was everything to me when I first started. And it's been a, a huge impact on me since then. Yeah, that, that's a great point that uh, people should definitely take in and, and hear, particularly the young people listening who are working in, in Vector. What happens in life is that we sort of unconsciously begin to adopt the belief systems and the habits of the people that we spend the most time around. It's just sort of a natural evolution that occurs. And so you have to be very deliberate about orchestrating your circle of influence and who you are hanging out around, who you're spending time around. And not everybody has a chance to be around people like Gina Nappy or Greg Cothern or the people you've been around. We're very lucky in Vector to get to work with such high quality leaders and individuals that can give us to help us to develop good habits and take good actions and to uh, refine our way of thinking. So it's cool that you had those experiences uh, with those people. It's so common for people in Vector to say that the reason why they're still here today is the people that are in the business. So what's really important as you're going into the summer once again is to help shepherd your reps into the Vector family. And I know that sometimes that can be difficult in a virtual environment, but 
I want to share a couple of quick tips as to how you can still create the opportunity for collisions in a virtual environment. Number one, breakout rooms. Utilizing this feature during team meetings, during training, really in all different types of environments is really valuable because you never know who might be connecting and what could come from that, from an accountability perspective, from a culture perspective, from a friendship perspective. Also, manufacturing field trainings, setting certain people up who you know could vibe really well together and could work really well together. That's powerful stuff. And again, you have the ability to create an accountability partnership through doing something along the lines of field training. You also can set people up in a three-way text message. Let's say you have an AM and you have a new rep and you know that the AM could really add a lot of value to the rep. Setting them up in a three-way text message to begin building a relationship can be really valuable. And here's the thing to remember. While you will have ample opportunities to build that relationship with your reps, what's almost as important as that is making sure that your reps build a relationship with each other. And again, create that circle of influence that Paige spoke about so fondly. Let's move on to the eighth clip. And this is actually the final clip that we're going to be referencing. And then I'm going to wrap us up with the ninth ingredient here. So the eighth ingredient is one that I think as a company, we are so good at. And you're going to hear from Kevin Barth in episode 322, talk about the ingredient of fun and how he had this incredible Cutco Olympic tradition during SC2. Enjoy. Our team was culture. We would do this event every summer for a decade called the Cutco Olympics. And the Cutco Olympics is this event that we just came up with 10 years ago that we would have these kids participate in a team night out. And the team night out was like the team night out of the summer. We would do this before every SC1 conference. And we would get everybody together on the team. We would do this big event. The ending event was always this event called the Donut Race. (laughs) I can't believe I'm even sharing this, but it was called the Donut Race. And we would have these kids eat like four donuts and then drink a glass of milk and then run like half a mile. And it was a real... (laughs) And these kids went all out on the Cutco Olympics. That was the first time that we did it in 2012, the summer. We were like, let's do a fun event. Let's create something that's just fun for these kids. They get a sell, they get to be with their friends and they just have fun and they get to grow themselves in the meantime. And all these kids throwing up after, like it was a mess. All these kids sprinting for the first time in forever, uh, doing physical like fitness for the first time in a long time and just going all out to help their team win. But the smiles, the laughs, the fun, the excitement, man, we had kids itching for the Cutco Olympics every year for the last decade. And it's really cool to see my development do that in their offices nowadays as well, because that was something that kept the team together. That was something that brought everybody together. I remember our team was like, kind of like these moving parts, like "Ah, our staff is kind of here. Our team is kind of here. I'm kind of here. And then the Cutco Olympics would happen in the summer and all of the sudden everyone's in for selling as much as we can for the rest of the summer everyone's in for the rest of the summer everyone's in for the conferences everyone's there for every team night out everyone's there for every event and it just brought everyone together you know one event like that and we did a lot of those things we did all day call days 
where I was probably more competitive than I should have been. We would play basketball. They would make some phone calls. Uh, we would play volleyball. They would make some phone calls. We would play kickball. They would make some phone calls. And that was a staple in my organization for so long was like competing in different ways, but having your friends work with you too. And that was really fun for a really long time. That made work fun. That made kids would literally go to team night out, be out till 11 or 12, and then be at the office ready to make phone calls 7 a.m. the next day and not miss a meeting for the rest of their Cutco career. (laughs) (laughs) One cohesive event is amazing. Wow. That sounds like so much fun. And I'm sure that anybody who was in Kevin's district office during that time really looks back at those experiences with fond memories. And while I know some of you might be thinking, how do I create that when I'm running a virtual office? I don't have the luxury of being right in my territory with my people. And even if that is the case, I want to encourage you to find some way somehow to bring your people together, especially during SC2, because that's our opportunity to make the experience feel different and feel more exciting to get people really ready to think bigger during SC2. I would also encourage you to get creative about how to infuse fun in your weekly agenda. Even if you are fully virtual, there are ways to have fun during PCs, PDI, team meetings, team at out of course, that create experiences for people that kind of allow them to not take this too seriously and to see that this is more than just selling knives. And I think with many of the other ingredients I've already talked about, your team will feel like this is more than just selling knives. But we have to remember, we're working with 18, 19, 20, 21-year-olds, and fun is a big part of our desire at that age. And so it's really, really, really valuable to infuse fun. And I think sometimes our less experienced managers feel like we got to take this really seriously. And the truth is fun is an ingredient of culture. It is just as important as having a vision, having shared values. And I would say it's even just as important as having standards and expectations. So don't be afraid to infuse fun into your organization on a weekly basis. Let's wrap up with the ninth ingredient. I actually don't have a clip for the ninth ingredient, but I think that's okay because I think it's actually the ingredient that we are probably the best at as a company. And that ingredient is the culture of recognition. And why I say this is something that I think we're the best at is because with every single office that I've ever sat in on a team meeting with, recognition is so much a core of that team meeting that I truly know, no matter how experienced you are, I think you understand the importance of recognizing people for their hard work. I think it's a good reminder that we're not just recognizing results, we're also recognizing action. And I remember listening to a Changing Lives episode that was just recently put out with the gentleman who is the current president of meetup.com. And he talked about creating a list of shared values and then actively recognizing people who lived into those values. So if your office right now isn't performing at a level where you feel like you can recognize the results, you can recognize for people's actions, their behaviors, and their values. So 
Finding ways to recognize people is so important and it makes people feel special. And you never know who in your organization has never once been recognized for doing good work, for showing up, for being a good human. And you get to be that person who does that for them. And that creates a lasting impression. And in a lot of ways, that's going to help keep people retained and keep people around. So those were the nine ingredients of culture. I'll go through them one more time as a reminder. We started off with mission. You listened to Dan Cassetta. Just give a brief glimpse into driving a massive sales week during his final push for the Silver Cup. We then talked about the importance of standards and expectations and how having those in place protect your culture. You heard from Isaac Tolpin, one of the Vector greats, as he talked about creating one phrase approaches to kind of having an angel on someone's shoulder to drive their behavior and drive their actions. We then talked about the importance of shared values. Kristen Ali talked about starting her team off by embodying her own values and hiring to that and making sure that the people in her organization were on the same page as it pertains to values. We then went into the importance of vision and we heard from Trey Harris and how he really dives in with his people and helps them create a long-term vision, which ultimately helps him as a division manager accomplish his own vision. Then he went into accountability and we had Drew Frank walk us through the six steps to accountability. Once again, go to episode 172 in the show notes. You can get that PDF for yourself. After that, we moved on to belonging cues and you heard Kate Bassey reflect very fondly on an experience she had with Jeff Gamboa where she doesn't really remember what he said, but she remembers how he made her feel. And in that moment, she felt like she belonged. And that was in a way what she was looking for and what she needed to keep pushing forward and to accomplish one of the greatest feats in her career at that point. After that, we moved through to collisions and collisions were something that many people aren't necessarily familiar with, but I think that's what makes Vector great is those moments where people are connecting with one another and they develop their circle of influence. And Paige Weber talked in good detail about how that really opened her eyes to what's possible in Vector. After collisions, we moved over to fun and we heard a great story from Kevin Barth as to how he infused fun into his SC2s with the Cutco Olympics. And I challenge all of you to think of how you can infuse fun and not take it too seriously because at the end of the day, you're working with 18, 19, 20, 21-year-olds and that group wants to have fun and I'm sure you do too. We then wrapped up with recognition and I just want to recognize all of you for spending time with me today. I hope that through just bringing some awareness to the nine ingredients of culture, you were realizing that it's not about changing any of the things that you're doing from a systems perspective. It's simply about being more intentional about the things that you're doing from a systems and programs perspective. You can infuse any of these ingredients into your team meetings. You can infuse any of these ingredients into your PCs and PDI and team night out. So just remember that these are the things that help build your culture. And if you're not intentional about your culture, chances are it's not going to go in the direction that you really want it to. So I hope that this brings some intentionality to your culture this summer. Again, thank you so much for listening. Go check out the full-length episodes 
that we highlighted today and have a wonderful day, everybody. And good luck this summer. Thanks for listening. If you got value from today's episode, please share it with others and consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player. Subscribing to the podcast is free and ensures that future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. For access to guest bios, show notes, and other resources, visit changinglivespodcast.com. You can sign up there to receive valuable resources for free from people featured on the podcast. And to support our podcast sponsors, visit changinglivespodcast.com slash deals. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. We'll be back in a few days for our next story about changing lives.